Yeah, so how's it going, man? Happy New Year. Likewise. Wait, did we? Have, have we not talked in the New Year? Oh, I guess you're right. Yeah, we haven't recorded yet. I yeah, think. I think, I think, I think the last was one Ian? we did. <laughs> I can't remember. It's hard uh, for me to remember too now that you say it, but yeah, yeah I think Ian was the last one of, uh, was... of uh, last year. Yeah, he was. He was before the New Year. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh. I think like Happy New Year, the opportunity to say Happy New Year expires on like January 3rd. Yeah. People insist on like really like breaking it out through deep January. Yeah. I've definitely said it to people like almost like January 31st before. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. So all's well, man. How are you? Good. Good. Just enjoying, uh, you know, all the hype about the ETF. Uh, I don't know if you placed any trades with your broker, but, uh, it's, yeah, it's, at least we have that coveted legitimacy for Bitcoin, even though most of us uh, hard, hardcore people don't feel that the need necessarily for the ETF, it brings, it brings legitimacy to the space. I think I'm more in the pro camp than the anti camp. I think, mm. um, I, I think it, yeah, the legitimacy is cool. I think I've always said this, right? But whatever brings market entrance in, I think is ultimately probably a, a good thing. Um, yeah. Because then people will, you know, some of them at least will get excited about Bitcoin or learn about it or, you know, look for alternative ways to have exposure. And some of those people will land on self-custody uh, and they might not have otherwise. And so, yeah. you know, therein lies a good I feel the same way about all coins. Um, and I'm in the cohort that, you know, uses one of the financial institutions that decided that, you know, we're not allowed to buy these shares. Mm. Um, and so I think, you know, people commented about it on Twitter a lot yesterday. Um, and I thought that was really surprising. Uh, you know, SEC approved, you know, live trading, right. But like yep. this asset manager that, you know, I have investments with was like, nope not even there's not even like a way to like override it or anything they're just like you can't buy these um so th you know that's causing me to think about switching asset managers but um I, I was pretty surprised by that i don't know what you think about that well i think you can probably also give it time um yeah i don't have any positions in bitcoin related products and you know us-based brokerages but um if i do get there yeah for you know retirement account purposes or whatever, uh, I believe my brokers will be fine. Uh, I'm not in one of those, uh, stubborn, hard nosed, uh, old school brokers or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I think it's, I actually had a couple interesting things or at least interesting things I was remembering. And for me, it's all, it's all going to be about like the precious metals ETFs. That's something I'm definitely going to try to track. Um, because just big picture, I mean, I've talked about this for years anyway with the monetary based stuff, but if you, you know, you can, you can also look at gold and silver ounces as far as like what is transparently traded and that being primarily ETFs. And it's, it's about a hundred billion, like round, round numbers is a hundred billion. So it's already smaller than the Bitcoin market cap itself. Um, I think you mean the, in volume, like trading volume? No, no. In NAV, in net asset value, it's a hundred, hundred billion dollars worth. That is not a lot. Oh, I thought the gold ETF was like a trillion, like multi-trillion dollar product. It's about, it's about 60 billion, my friend. Uh, uh, do, do you buy the comparison? Like everyone loves throwing up the gold ETF chart. Um, uh, you, I, did, I actually didn't see any, I, I didn't see any charts of that, but no, just, just for your information, uh, assets under management of GLD, the biggest one, the spider gold, it's 56 yeah. billion. And it goes, it goes down like way down from there. So, hundred billion is probably generous. I will, I will get some good charts to this in the future. Um, and Bitcoin still has a lot of room to grow there because the, I think what the Bitto, which was the, the futures, uh, ETF that was active for a couple of years already that has like 2 billion, right? So that's, that was probably the biggest futures ETF, I think. And, mm -hmm. um, so obviously we got, we got a lot of room to grow. So I think you look at those numbers f f for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I don't think it's going to be as 
bombastic as most people think. I think that it will definitely gain plenty of uh, enthusiasm from investors, uh, younger investors as well, like young professionals for sure. And and maybe some boomers as well. But I, I just think I think it's just fully generational. Um, and I don't know, I just don't, I don't necessarily think the ETF like craze is, is going to kind of like you said, like, it's 50 50. Like, is it really going to hurt Bitcoin or really going to help? I'm more in the pro camp. Definitely agree with you there. But I think that uh, for many much better reasons, basically most people that want to be in it are in it. And if you're young and driven, you know, you're want to, going to want to understand the technology anyway to take custody yourself or use multi-sig or whatever. So all those things I think are still much more in, in the camp of like Bitcoin being outside of an ETF. But even if you were in an ETF, this is an interesting parallel. I remember we interviewed uh, Brian Kelly during the boom of 2017 mm -hmm. from CNBC. I actually don't even know if he's still there. I don't know if you know. He probably I is. I don't know either. They're crypto guy, basically. Yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah. And um, he, I, I, I asked him specifically, I'm like, how, how valuable of an ETF from like a gold bug principled stance is something like the GLD or the SLV? Like, you know, are you really, if you're a, if an investor and you really are worried about if the gold is there? Because this is what it comes down to, you know, with this custody stuff. Like, are you actually going to be able to go down to the, you know, one of the New York exchanges or somewhere in the COMEX um, to actually withdraw, you know, and take delivery of your gold if you really want to? And do you think any investors in the GLD or SLV could actually do that? And his answer was basically no, it's not going to happen that way. I mean, he gave a little bit more longer answer, but, but yeah, I have a very hard you know, difficult time believing that any investors would actually want to do that. And that's like the whole thing with Bitcoin. It's just the beauty of Bitcoin is it's so much easier to take possession, right? I mean, with gold, mm -hmm. you could have, you could have three to 7% uh, uh, trading fee. That, that's like literally the fee that, uh, you know, versus spot basically that your uh, broker and or like a place like gold money, Peter Schiff's favorite company he's invested in like you know real hardcore principled gold companies uh they're going to charge you at least three percent on the fee there and if you really want to take the liberty it's delivery it's way more expensive than that um you know for the shipping and everything else so the whole process bottom line as much as the gold silver bugs love that idea is very difficult and there's just not that much of a market for it and i don't think there's even a much of a market for people that kind of like gold and want the exposure a la the ETFs, right? As I just said, that's less than a hundred billion worldwide. So yeah, it's a long winded way of saying, I don't, uh, I don't necessarily think it's going to be any different than Bitcoin in this case, like the people that buy the Bitcoin ETF, although we, you know, we saw a lot of hardcore Bitcoiners like excited about it. I mean, some are, are not, as, as we just said, there's people that are in the, I think it's a con, uh, more than a pro. But um, I, I just think in general, it's going to be a very similar clientele. It's going to be people that, you know, yeah, maybe young professionals have some cash to spare, uh, want some Bitcoin price exposure, don't want to deal with the hassle. But I have a hard time seeing that this is going to be, you know, the, the camel's nose under the tent or whatever, where Bitcoin gets taken over or it's too dangerous or this and that. I just don't think people will be that interested because you don't have to be that interested, you know, to buy it. Uh, that still could be wrong, you know, uh, but that's generally what I think. And, and it, if Bitcoin does disprove that thesis and it becomes way more, uh, valuable in terms of assets under man under management than the GLD or the SLV, I'm curious what that number is, but I don't think it's even trillions. Uh, I, I just don't think so. When, when mm -hmm. gold and silver, a hundred billion, you know, I mean, how, how how high can that number really go for a regulated structured product um yeah i don't know what did the bitcoin market cap peak out at last time it got to a trillion, trillion right trillion yeah. yeah all right um so yeah one of the charts i can't find the one that i saw like 10 times on twitter yesterday but mm. uh the one i'm looking at here says from 
from the gold spot ETF approval in November 20, November 2003 to its peak, which took a little while, was a 425% rise, right? So that's what people like to compare uh, for Bitcoin, right? Is, like, that the, you know, is that the GLD? Was that the first one? This, Pro- this probably. It's probably. Yeah, this is 1974. Um, Can you share that one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, charts on this one. Yeah. It should, so that's it the gold. Article. That's the gold price. Yeah. That's not a very uh, helpful article as far as like being descriptive, but uh, yeah, it, the, the, the spider one started at this time, November. It's, so it's the GLD, but that's just the, that's just the price. That's just the price chart of gold. Um, and it came at a very convenient time. I mean, it was gold is in a 20 year, bull when that's or excuse me a 20-year bear when that's you know etf started um i don't know how much credence i would give to that analysis so like just the fact that the etf started that way and that's where it went because there was more market and that's kind of my point as well there were more market dynamics i think behind gold's price rise even you know uh despite the presence of an etf because uh I think it's a good chart to look at, like as far as getting these assets under management on a chart, and I'll try to uh, get it together soon. But it's just not as much as people think. You know, if you think about all like the the blustering that Peter Schiff has done over the last ten years with Bitcoin, I mean, Bitcoin long ago passed all of the transparent gold and silver ounces above ground held by investors, I, a la ETFs, i.e., ETFs. Uh, she sent another one. Uh, so this is like the one that's been going around Twitter, although it's just one of several, yeah. which, you know, basically compares the Bitcoin price chart, which like, you know, there's some similarities. Um, although like, I always feel like it, if you, if you cherry pick your time frame and then zoom in and out, you can like make two charts look very similar. Um so, but yeah, exactly. obviously like some similarities here, uh, although that is like generally what a blow off top and bear market looks like. So it's not that surprising that those two have a similar path. Um, that's not a unique chart to you know, either of those assets. Um, and then, so yeah, it, it, I don't it even think, like, I don't even think this is correct though. I mean, this is like a chart of. Look! Look at the peaks. Like that—that that could be a chart of 2017. That's the 17. You're actually right. That is the 17. Because you don't see the double top of 20. The double. Uh huh. Uh, good point. It's weird. Anyway, yeah. So, anybody can make this yeah, stuff. Well, there you go. If you saw it on the internet, it doesn't mean it's true. <laughs> but no, that's a good one. And you mentioned as well. Here's one we picked up from uh, Ran, who was not so happy about the day. Because of all the redemptions from Grayscale, which is to be expected, as you mentioned. But, but why uh, is that bad? I don't understand that. No, I don't. I don't think so either. I mean, it's they've been locked up for years and years, and <laughs> also, yeah, lots of uh, you know, court proceedings surrounding that whole saga. Um, but like, it's just that's the free market acting, right? So just because mm-hmm. someone doesn't like how the free market acted when the constraints were restrained or yeah. were lifted. Yeah. Um, and Grayscale did a ton of volume and like, it wouldn't surprise me if some people redeemed that there yeah. was pent up demand for that. Um, and day one, I don't think is it really any indicator of yeah. where we're headed. Absolutely. And Grayscale, just to remind our listeners, they, uh, how much do they have? I don't, I, I should know that. I don't know it off. How many Bitcoin? Head. Yeah, off the top of my head, there's not they're not listed on uh, some of the apps I have for I assets. Wasn't management. it six hundred thousand? Uh, could be, but let's just do the math roughly on that to see what is that. Is that two? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is six hundred. Yeah, six hundred and forty-three thousand. Right. So it's two, roughly two and a half, bill. Right. Is that is that what that works out to? No, it's more than that. Twenty four. No, it says well here on Google. It says that's thirty billion. Yeah, twenty four bill. Sorry, my twenty four brain's okay. not working on Friday here. Yeah, so t- yeah, twenty five thirty billion 
would be their max holdings, which is which is big. That's obviously you're getting up to the numbers anyway. Back to the gold and silver, all all gold and silver ETFs put together. You know, not even 100 billion. So, yeah, that's a huge amount of uh, asset value. Not even talking volume here. I'm just talking asset value that could, you know, has the possibility to, uh, you know, be redeemed. Of course, that's going to happen. Yeah, um, I did. I did really like two of the ticker names. Um, so someone got BRRR for Money Printer Go. Yeah, for Valkyrie. That was, Valkyrie got that. That was awesome. And then someone else got, I thought that was the best one. Someone else had Hoddle. Yeah, Van Eck. Um, which Bo- both of them. Both of them, I think, are pretty principled principled people as far as uh not principled people principled entities that have been around for a long time and i hope that both of them actually get some i think it's it, yeah it's it's good both great names for both uh i think good entities hopefully they could be around for a long time but yeah it's interesting well, to see how how many there are to start and how long this could could go uh because like we said with gold and silver again it's massive pareto distribution from the big to the small yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do, do we think all 11 of these are going to survive or it's going to be more of like a consolidation of the top three seem, or four? It seems to be what happens, especially in these, you know, precious metals, asset-backed holding type funds. Even with something like SPY, you know, the S&P, I mean, that's like a massive fund, which uh, traders use all the time, is my understanding. I mean, I'm not in the market, but I understand that, you know, it's just like, if you if you really want an active hedge to something at any point, like why not just use the SPY? Uh, so it's like why use anything else? Yeah. Um, um, well, like you know, traders love liquidity. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to watch. But the markets market literally just opened. Uh, let's see. Yeah, grayscale trading down just slightly same with uh blackrock um but uh and this is not an original thought um but i agree with those that have been saying these big institutions do have sales teams right and the sales teams are probably dispassionate about bitcoin or at least some of them are but they Mm -hmm. have a new product and they're supposed to run around the country and the world selling it um and so you know previous to this We've never really had, like, I, in my opinion, Bitcoin always just sold itself. Yeah. Um, it didn't have a sales team, right? Like, you have companies out there that have products, but no one was, like, walking around trying to get you to just buy a Bitcoin. Um, yeah. People did that because they wanted to. So this is a different, you know, someone's going to get a cold call from, you know, a junior analyst at BlackRock being like, hey, have you considered, you know, the iBit? um for your portfolio that's new yeah and everybody's gonna have to take a position regardless or take a view not necessarily a position as in a buying something but you know just just like people take views on stocks versus bonds or whatever gold versus you know uh whatever some other asset class uh it's it's definitely going to be around now like it or not regardless of what you know vanguard says or something so totally agree you're gonna have to take a view at some point what do you think of the consolidation of custody under like it's it's almost all of them are using coinbase like fidelity is doing self-custody and i think one or two others had yeah. an alternate custody option but of the 11 i think eight were coinbase yeah um, i'd i'd be worried if i were jesse powell i mean i don't know he'd be something someone i'd love to talk to on the show because it clearly seems that coinbase is the anointed one like they're they're the one that's going to be allowed to come into the tent that is the you know the hedge of money that the behemoth that is the u.s financial system headquartered in new york like coinbase is going to be allowed to come in clearly that's Mm -hmm. that's that's what's been happening someone like jesse powell who's like a hardcore libertarian and i still remember his hilarious tweets like way back in the day when the nydfs was trying to say the Kraken, you know, wasn't filling out their surveys and stuff. <laughs> he was like, he was like calling them like, you know, just like the, like the gross ex 
girlfriend that just, just never stops calling. <laughs> he's, he's like, we don't even have, we don't even have clients in New York. Like, what do you, you know, what do you guys do? I just remember some of his tweets. I probably stated that wrong, but it was something like the ex-girlfriend. I mean, it, Kraken has been like, they're a great company and they have been just fined up the wazoo for, of course, doing nothing wrong as far as their customers are concerned. So I think it's very, this is going to be very challenging for uh, certainly US-based exchanges that are not exactly like Coinbase. And I don't know. MicroStrategy, uh, what they haven't been public about it, but I think they're, everybody's pretty sure it's Fidelity, Coinbase, and one other uh, mm-hmm. that, that they use. So, you know, the consolidation is there again. But I, I'm curious. I'm curious how this, when it all settles down and the, the interest, you know, the interest in the asset settles down, I'm curious how. I think that number will eventually get bigger than the GLD and the SLV for sure. The precious, like the gold and silver, it's going to be bigger. Uh, how much bigger will be very interesting to see. But I have a hard time thinking that, you know, if Bitcoin gets to gets back to a trillion, two trillion, three trillion, that that this is going to be some gigantic part of that. I just, I just don't, I don't think so. But I don't know. You have a different opinion. Um, I'm probably a, a little more bullish than you are. Um, and I think the reason being that, so we've also reduced the account sign up barrier to entry mm. and people are lazy. Right. And so as of yesterday, everyone, I mean, let's say like some of these asset managers, acquiesce and start allowing purchases of, and but there are others that are that certainly do allow purchases so previously like you know if your kid came home from college and told you know mom and dad they should buy bitcoin they have to help you you know probably open a coinbase account or you know something else and you got to go through the verification process and you know hold your sign up and do all of that um now like you just open up your fidelity account and you can buy it yeah um and so uh friction and barriers entry uh, you know, reduce access. Um, and I think we've eliminated some of that here. And so human nature being what it is, it's now easier to buy Bitcoin. And I, I think that, I think that's going to be a material impact on activity. I really yeah. do. No, I get it. I get it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to just tracking this and seeing how it grows because like I said, big round numbers, that's a hundred, a hundred billion only for precious metals. And, uh, I would love the head fake of like all of Wall Street to be like, okay, well, our customers actually want to hold Bitcoin for these various reasons, even though they're not holding it the way we would say is the way to hold it. Um, yeah, all the reasons that you said are totally, I think, legitimate. And I, it's also would be interesting to see how they grow in other markets. Um, you know, they're not necessarily the US. Uh, mm. I think Sweden was like the first ETF ever yeah. listed and I, I haven't tracked that one let's see how big that one ever got it looked like you had some other charts though what, i have some economics that you bring to the table <laughs> not exactly economics but uh just fun this one i i did a daily on uh if you look at from the start basically the start of pricing bitcoin pizza day we can start to gather some data of price till january 9th which was the old uh, the old anniversary of Satoshi releasing the code, also the anniversary of this podcast, Alec, mm-hmm. January ninth. I know Be- because it was so just too pretentious. Deep to, in meaning, it was too pretentious to do January third. So I figured I better do January ninth. Uh, you know, it's the the day that Satoshi released the code. Anyway, uh, yeah, exactly. So obviously, this is the trend everybody knows from the dollar, this is just inverted basically dollar pricing, but you can look at it as far as 100,000 local currency units, how much you could buy at any time. So at the beginning, let's just quickly do this, like to look at the dollar. Uh, You could basically buy the network at the beginning. Uh, You actually get more than 21 million Bitcoin, but that's just illustration purposes only. Obviously there's no liquidity. (laughs) It's it's the price that Laszlo sold uh, 10,000 Bitcoins for two pizzas. 
would have been more than 20 million. I think there was only about 3 million at the time. Anyway, in 2010, so for illustration purposes. But anyway, you get to sort of understandable numbers already by like mid 2011, you get like maybe five, 6,000, 7,000 Bitcoins, uh, depending on the day, maybe even 10,000 um, with $100,000, $100,000. Uh, but then of course it just goes down from there. So it's just the inverse of the price we all know to where today, 2.27 BTC. That was January, January 5th number. So that's how much you could get in Bitcoin with $100,000. So not to go through everyone again, which I did in this video, people can check it out, but the pound sterling, that's the strongest currency. It's a little bit more, uh, 2.88. Swiss franc, it's about the same. Euro, it's about the same. But if you look at some currencies that are obviously prone to inflation, the Turkish lira, you can see that's quite a big difference. Mm -hmm. So whereas yeah. you could still basically buy the network at the beginning, you know, maybe maybe 15 million Bitcoin as opposed to the 20 million or so that you know, the theoretical at that price fall way down, especially in the last couple of years to where you could get with 100,000 Turkish lira, you could get 0 0.08 Bitcoin. Argentine peso is another one, even worse. Mm -hmm. So again, at the beginning, roughly, you know, many millions of Bitcoins with 100,000 Argentine pesos back in the day, but because of the massive inflation they've had, and this is even the official rate. This is not the black market rate we talked about. It rounds to 0, 0.00. I remember, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So this is even, it's even worse if you do the black market rate, but this is the official rate. It's even with Malay's devaluation to 800, 0, 0. 0.00 pesos. So then the real is a little bit in between. Uh, Chinese yuan, Indian rupee, it's a little bit lower. And the Russian ruble, it's about at India. So it's just an interesting way of looking at, uh, at least I think, interesting way to show how literally 100,000 units of any currency could basically get close to buying the network uh, 15 years ago. And now, at best, you can hope for, you know, two and some change. BTC. Yeah. So that's wild. Yeah. It's just funny. Like if you think about this chart and you think about every, all the talking heads, all the brilliant people that are even now talking about where they think they know Bitcoin's going to go with this ETF and everything. And you just look at the long-term trend. You're like, it's, a, it's interesting to think about. Like you remember Peter Zion was on uh, Joe Rogan about a year ago. Mm -hmm. And BTC was in a big slump uh, because of, you know, the FTX debacle and everything. It was, it was even under, under 20 grand a year ago. Um, and he was so confident, like, like he is with everything about geopolitics. He was just so confident that he was saying, you know, it's like Bitcoin is 16, 17,000. And that's, you know, 18,000 uh, above its above its net value and all this stuff. And he's just so confident the way that he would speak. And it's, it's just interesting to follow a system, you know, as long as we have and to see someone who, you know, that they're not an expert on the system, but they have, they're so confident that they know that where the market is and, and they don't see any utility for this thing. Uh, I just think it's interesting uh, to see over all the years. And, and there's still no shortage of people that I think they know what the intrinsic value of Bitcoin is. Um, yeah, he's, uh, he's, I think confident is a great word to describe him because he, he's really a great communicator. Yeah. So you hear, like I've listened to him many times and I, I hear him say things and, um, he's just like very convincing. Um, and he is right. Something like he's been very accurate, I think on, uh, the Chinese economy and the Chinese population, um, like in decline and, uh, you know, municipal debt. And like, he was calling that quite a while ago. Yeah. Um, uh, well before there were any indications of that data coming out of China, for sure. Um, and so, yeah, but he always like, he answers every question with like, you know, some certainty about the future. For sure. Yeah. He's probably a spook. You said that about everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no. like, I don't think so. It's just, um, it's actually, funny that... he's a great mouthpiece for like American exceptionalism because sure, all of his sure. stories are like, 
everyone's like, yeah, they're going to, they don't worry about that. <laughs> they're going to fade away in 20 years. Too. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. He's very confident, but he, he always says yeah. these things about like what the CIA knows or doesn't know. Like, I'm sure you've heard his line that, you know, Xi has no idea what people, what's actually happening in the world because, you know, people die who give him information he doesn't like to hear, which is common with dictators, the same with Putin. Um, and so most, the net of that is everybody gives him information that he only wants to hear. Um, and he's completely isolated himself. And, you know, the CIA, he said this, he, he Peter Zion has said this, like the CIA we knew, we knew exactly where Putin, where, where and when Putin was when he was in his bunker. We told him that, but we don't know always what is happening with Xi because he's so isolated and insulated. And basically, there's no capacity to spy on him, apparently, as well as the U.S. typically does. That that was his sort of conclusion about Xi, which I thought was interesting. Did you did you gather that? Uh, I, I Maybe I've heard him say that. I mean, it's just hard to collect data at all out of China that they don't want you to collect. Yeah. So. Uh, you know that it seems logical that they could protect information around you know the principal um i i that description makes him sound a little more like kim jong-un and i think he probably has you know a little more global awareness um although like i don't know right now if i was offered either a job as a russian general or a chinese general i might pick russian right it's been <laughs> terrible to be a chinese general recently yeah so yep. yeah i don't know which which country is, um, it's, you know. it's, it's not much better to be a Russian one, but, um, yeah, I, I take your point. I take your point there. Yeah. Uh, well, at least the Russian generals like, no, it's clear what failure and success is for them. Yeah. It seems like the Chinese generals are like, Oh, you, you know, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed yesterday. So you're going into timeout for 60 days. Yep. And you're probably going to be dead when you come out of timeout or worse. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you had anything more there. Uh, that's no, interesting so. tangent on him as well. He, he is he does write some interesting stuff. I certainly agree with that. But he puts out uh, a lot of content consistently too. Yeah the the big point is like even if he is so educated on the world and geopolitics, I'm pretty sure he didn't see this coming with Bitcoin. And those of us that have been following this for a long time, though we we couldn't have predicted all the ups and downs exactly for sure. The trend is obviously there. We've done you know, plenty of videos on the trend lines and stuff. And it's just always interesting to see these people that come in and sort of claim they know the intrinsic value. And uh, I think that's only going to increase now with the with the ETF. And uh, mm. I'm glad that we have it. I'm glad that we have legitimacy for sure. I can't tell you how many Wall Street people I've spoken with over the years, like when I've been in New York, and they just tell me Bitcoin's going to zero. It's going to zero. You don't even know what you're doing. What is this? It's so it's so interesting to be on that side of something like, have you even read anything about it? Do you understand how the protocol works? Do you understand, you know, how you validate a block? Do you understand the consensus rules? And these people just have no, no idea about those things. So, Oh, yeah, I, I still think there's probably a lot of that. Um, although it's better. Yeah, it's better for sure. The uh, I, I was we were talking about for for the show, but it was 20 i'm pretty sure it was 2017 and i wanted to buy some gbtc shares at the mm. time and in order to do that and i'd never encountered this with any other like stock or, or um asset purchase through <laughs> my asset manager yeah i had to call them and they had to speak to me and it was almost like a mental wellness check they're like you know does this person sound crazy yeah. And they're like, you just confirming you actually want to buy these shares. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, and so that, that was required in order to purchase them. Um, and so like, you know, it just kind of shows you the disdain, um, you know, my money, right. And they'll let you buy like, you know, penny stocks, they'll let you buy like any sort of like crap. Right. But this for some reason was so dangerous that they had to talk to me. Yeah. And the, uh, that is one of the, the firms, I think, still, as you mentioned, we don't have to say the name, but that's one of the ones that is not so favorable right now. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see how uh, how that continues. But um, sorry, my baby's in the background being. I, I hear that. 
It's already too much information on the internet about your children. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's going to like audio sample and, and do like a, a deep fake voice recording. Um, oh, man, you get me all paranoid about this stuff. Thinking, uh, speaking of being paranoid about these things, let's look at this privacy, uh, privacy review here on cars. Oh, yeah. Uh, you said cars. this. Uh, great work that the Mozilla Foundation does here, but basically they reviewed 25 car brands. Yeah, it's not good. Um, and we were talking about this, right? Like there is, so there is no car that you can buy that is not a data collection machine. Um, and unlike phones, so cars are like cell phones with wheels, right? They have a lot of the same data collection around location and usage and metadata. Cars have telemetry, right? They, there's uh, updates, right? There's all sorts of stuff that a car has. That is, and Tesla in particular is basically a phone with wheels. Like it, it even like feels like a phone inside of it. Um, but the, the, the problem is Phones are somewhat configurable, right? And so like, you know, even in an iOS phone, an Apple device, they put like guardrails around how much you can configure it, but you can go in and adjust things. Like you can turn off location services. You you can tailor that device a little bit. Uh, and in, on an Android, especially like if you're running like Graphene or something, you can tailor it you know, almost entirely to your liking. Uh, what this article points out is that cars either do not have those options or they, they actually show us a section from Tesla's privacy uh, policy where it says, you know, if you no longer wish for us to collect vehicle data or any other data from your Tesla vehicle, blah, 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 blah. This may result in your vehicle suffering from reduced functionality, serious damage or inoperability, right? So if we can't collect your data, your car is not going to work. Um, and I remember something similar the last time I bought a car, which was, three years ago, maybe something like that when I was purchasing and I waited till right, you know, right at like deal signing, like everyone's pregnant with this sale. I was like, Hey, you know, the one thing I just want to make sure is you can point out to me where to turn off the location services in the car. Um, and the salesperson didn't know, no one's ever asked that question. So they brought up like someone from the mechanic side from, uh, and they're like, Oh yeah, you, you can't like, it won't work if you turn it off. Right. Basically exactly the same thing Tesla said. Um, this is not a Tesla, uh, and it's just like not an option, right? So did you get you it? Modern... Did you investigate further yeah. or no, I just bought the car like a Rube, right? Like, <laughs> cause I needed a car. So what was I going to do? Like the, yeah. the alternative would be to go buy a car from the nineties, right? Like we can do that. Um, but I don't even know how far you'd back you'd have to go, but I, I would think like at least 20 years, right? Um, or we just have to wait yeah. till Apple comes out with one and still allows us that little opt out for location services. Although do sure, we really well, know yeah. that they're opting at us out? That's a whole nother thing. Wasn't Amazon for a while, like saying we're not collecting your, uh, Alexa voice, but we actually did. That was a whole, yeah, I don't, there was, there was a whole I don't policy. believe in any opt out is really real. Um, or that's like, I still think Apple knows where their devices are at all times. Um, uh, and, or they have some kind of information on it. Maybe, maybe not, but, um, but there was something else that was really interesting in here about Hyundai. Um, so Hyundai, what did they say? Uh, yeah. Okay. So Hyundai, Hyundai's policy, and this goes to law enforcement requests. So like many companies have a system for, uh, receiving and reviewing law enforcement requests. So like Facebook and all the tech companies have it. And so local police department wants information about a Facebook account. They will go submit to Facebook's like law enforcement request portal. Uh, and sometimes they allow it. Sometimes they say a subpoena is needed, right? Like there's a whole process for all of them. But Hyundai's policy is they will comply with lawful requests, whether formal or informal. Right. So that just means a lot, you know, some law enforcement entity has an informal request about, you know, probably your car's location information and they're going to honor that. So, you know, I, I think that that to me is probably a little more egregious than anything else I saw in here. Um, the other thing that's an issue here, and this is also true of phones. So let's say your car is in the vicinity of a crime. 
usually what that means is when some of these law enforcement requests go in, the same with your phone, right? Your device gets captured in the dragnet of data around that crime that the law enforcement wants because they want to know who's in the vicinity, right? So who potentially could have perpetrated that crime. Um, and in my opinion, that's overly broad, right? So I happen to be walking through a park at the same time as a crime was committed. And so therefore, like my device has to be captured in that. That's not the way sort of terrestrial law enforcement would work, right? Um, or at a minimum, it would require consenting by interviewing everyone in the park. And so in this case, they're not saying, hey, we have to go up and interview everyone in the park. They're saying, uh, whether it's a, your phone in the park or your car in a parking lot, we're just going to capture all of that. Um, and we'll, we'll decide who the criminal is here. Like, um, and I, I don't think that there's ill intentions there typically, but I do think that's an overcollection. And it's only overcollection because it's available. And it's available because these car companies are collecting it. And it's um, without so, any subpoena. I mean, that's been known for years, right? I mean, they can just yeah get it. I, I don't know every jurisdiction, right? But in general, yeah, they, yeah, they, in they general. get that. Yeah. Um, and even with phones, right? Like phone data is so granular that they know like the height of the phone at the time of the collection. So not only just like the location, but like how, how high or low it was. So if it was a, an apartment building and you're looking for someone on the second floor and you're on the eighth floor, right? That level of information is available from cell phones, wow. um, which is like crazy, right? Um, so yeah, th but this is a kind of a sad story, right? In this article, which is yeah. there is no new car, according to them, that is privacy preserving. Every single one they vetted, there were 25, all failed. Some were slightly worse than others, um, but none of them passed. Yeah. And it's, it's one of these things like even with Apple, just using the hypothetical example of Apple, presuming that Apple did make a car and it was rumored for years. I haven't heard anything. Recently, I'm sure they will. Yeah, they probably will. Um, presuming it still has Apple's pretty nice consumer friendly uh, privacy enhancing tools. Uh, that's still just one company, you know, and I, I just can't see that that's something that would save us all when we, we do get to that drac, you know, draconian sort of dystopian future, because there's still one company that's very capturable, uh, no matter what, you know, they say it's just one company. And, uh, that's just the fact of the matter. So I don't know. I, I, I know we've sort of danced around this topic all the time. We talk about how the zero trust or using public key cryptography might eventually help this. And I think that it will, that, that has to be one of the ways if we're going to get anything back that we'll get it back that way. But, um, I don't know what else to do otherwise, other than, uh, use your guys' services to protect uh, yourself as best you can. Yeah. I don't even know how we solve for this, but you know, one thing that I hear all the time is, so some people are like, yeah, but whatever, right? Like all I do is drive my kids to school and go to the grocery store. So like, I'm not that interesting. Sure. Um, and what I would offer is let's pretend like you are a law abiding tax paying, you know, uninteresting, viceless, you know, person. Uh, does that not mean that, or it doesn't mean that you're never doing anything that wouldn't be interesting to someone else, maybe even for business com competitive reasons, right? Like yeah. let's say you work at R and D in a company and you want to go interview at another company to potentially get a job, right? Yeah. You want someone to be able to figure out you drove over there and you know, took an interview, yeah, right? Like that, that type of information, you're not doing anything wrong or like more in the like kind of like gray area. Let's say that same law abiding, you know, tax paying citizen, uh, has, you know, an affair right? Not illegal. That's, you know, their thing, right? But that type of information could be uh, derived from geolocational information that comes from your phone or your car, you know, all of a sudden, like you're co-locating with someone that you don't normally co-locate with, uh, and then used against you, right? Uh, and would that surprise us in the political world? Not at all. Um, or if you just want to have a private life, right, which everyone I believe is entitled to. Yeah. Uh, what What's going on here is it's just the it's just the appearance of privacy. Like if I hop in my car and you know want to go on a drive down a country road, right? It's not really, <laughs> right? Like that's you know you 
you, me, and like everyone at the car company and everyone at Apple and everyone at Verizon all know that I did that too. Yeah. Well, we should be fair. Not everyone, right? But whoever has uh, access to the sure. encrypted backups and if they wanted to misbehave, for sure. Sure. And, you know, everyone who like needs to get that data for, you know, user experience enhancements, right? Or whatever yeah. the euphemism is. Yeah. Um, you know, that's... Do you have any idea how tight those controls are? I'm sure they're varied. Uh, but have you heard... And I, I know that there's there's obviously bad stories, but... Is there a company that generally, like a phone company or anything that does good practices as far as you know, or is it better to just not think about that? I don't know. So I don't know enough to say. I I know that the carriers in the U.S. have very poor controls. Yeah. Um, so like that would be... That's why you never, you never want to use two-factor for those few people that haven't understood this by now, you never want to use your phone <laughs> number as two-factor, never, ever, ever, especially if it's some hot wallet on your phone. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, SMS two-factor. Yeah. Um, yeah, SM SMS two-factor. Sorry, it wasn't yeah, clear. Yeah. Never want to use uh, SMS two-factor. I would assume there are some companies out there that are you know rigorous and, and, um, and authentic in their privacy controls. But I think in, anytime a company gets really big, they're looking... At efficiency, right? And so, you know, like who's out there scanning all the WhatsApp messages to make sure that, you know, you're not violating WhatsApp's messaging policies? Like how do, how do they do that? Um, we know they outsource that. They don't do that with Facebook employees uh, or so, or WhatsApp employees, right? Like I think there's lots of room for, for error. And I think a lot of it is not ill-intended. Let me just say that. I, I do believe a lot of it's not ill-intended, but the problem is that, you know, intentions are not a salt, right? Like yeah. just because you didn't have bad intentions, it doesn't mean that the data is not there. Yeah. And I mean, it can get serious, obviously. I mean, uh, if you really want to take a stand, if you really want to do the right thing, uh, it's very easy to come after you. I mean, this, uh, what's his name? Chris, it's Christoph Grozen, I think from, from a Bellingcat. Uh, he's like the Russia expert. Mm. He's, he's Bulgarian. I, he's Bulgarian, I believe, but he's now in protective custody. It has been published, I guess, in the U.S. Um, because Europe has told him that they can't keep him safe, and he exposes so much about what Russia is doing in their war in Ukraine and just in general the madness that they do to their own people uh, that they obviously want to kind of come after them. And that's, that's Russia's number one thing is just taking revenge on people. It doesn't matter the jurisdiction. I mean, they can give you, you know, radioactive sushi in London. It just does not matter. They will go after you. So obviously it gets heavy if you really want to get into the political space. And, uh, that's a sad thing. So yeah, we, we're, we're way far from anybody having, uh, kind of like you said before, the real right to privacy and, and having it. And it, it doesn't seem like it's getting better, which I, I feel like I say every time to you. So it's always, a depressing uh, well, way to, it's always a depressing way to end the privacy discussion, but. Uh, hey, Davos is next week though. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> should be some good privacy news coming out. Ah, uh, that's a great segue. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Uh, well, that's good, man. Um, we don't have to go much longer. We can finish it on the old, uh, on another financial topic, the old federal debt for the United States. We've talked about this yeah. before, but, uh, you know, Biden basically, uh, tabled any debt ceiling until after he, the fir his first term. Um, it's just good politics. Exactly. So it's on the way up when he came in, it was, uh, 23.2 trillion and now 33.89 trillion. It's quite a bit. It came in in January of 2020, right? Or was it January 2021? Uh, How does it work? Uh, January 21. 21. Okay, so it's higher. It's 27.7 trillion when he came in. So not as bad. But they've all increased. Yeah, I mean, done videos what's a few that. trillion? Yep. And that's, that doesn't even include Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid in these numbers. Uh, it is interesting, though, that the Fed is not buying as much or at least letting the treasuries that they have expire. This is part of their 
normalizing of their balance sheet, which they're slowly, slowly trying to do. Uh, so the peak was about 28% when mm. Biden came in, and now they're down to 21% of government mm. debt is held by the Fed. Uh, but way jaggedy ever since the financial crisis and uh, all-time high still basically except for the past couple of years so yeah you know maybe they'll solve that one at davos as well oh they're on it for they sure. probably they're ready to increase that at davos for most countries so um we'll see yeah we'll we'll do a whole we should go do an episode from davos <laughs> I had a buddy, uh, <laughs> eclectic guy. Um, he he went to Davos one year. Uh, he's a libertarian, good dude uh, in in Europe. Here, he's with the Students for Liberty group, and uh, he he told me it was hilarious. There was like, I don't know if it still happens, but some some years in the past couple of years, there was like a Bitcoin corner of Davos, and they were not connected to Davos. They just went because they, you know, were like. Mm rich Bitcoiners from the day and just just mm. wanted to mess with people at Davos and like they were holding parties. <laughs> nice. I don't know. I don't know how that all went down, but uh sounded like a pretty pretty nice way, at least a little bit, to mess with the people there. And, and like they were really getting irritated. Like the security at Davos was just getting irritated with all these Bitcoiners that rented out this corner of the village. I mean, being security at Davos is probably an annoying job anyway. Yeah. Um, but hey, I mean, if Larry thinks there, then, you know, we, we have our Bitcoiner in the room, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Everyone's a Bitcoiner now that he's so, there. Yeah. Yeah, of course. That's a good point, man. That is a good point. Well, that's probably it for me, Alec, uh, unless you have anything else uh, for this week. No, don't buy a car. Walk everywhere. <laughs> And don't buy the ETF. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buy your own self custody. See how it feels. Yeah, at least at least try a Trezor or something just for a little bit, and uh, and get your feet wet if you haven't already. Although I'm pretty sure that most people listening to this podcast have. There's always someone. Indeed. All right, my friend. Until next time, and happy New Year. Cheers. January twelfth. <laughs> Likewise. All right. And, and happy new year to you. Thanks. Thanks.